hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com GuideFitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters. The trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime. And the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. GuideFitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. GuideFitter's outdoor partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting. Gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm game warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of GuideFitter. This podcast is brought to you by Main Operation Game Thief. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 25, Jim Sears, 
conservation officer, Northwoods Lost Star, New Hampshire game warden, snowologist. <laughs> and uh, this is, I'm going to frame this guy for you guys. Jim and I record this podcast in his cruiser heading down to the law enforcement memorial. So you can hear the pounding rain that is going on, the road noise. Our conversation goes on through all of this noise, but it puts you guys in the cruiser with us, going to probably one of the most hallowed days of the law enforcement year to honor our fallen. So there's a little emotion in it for me. If you are honored to have personally known somebody that's name is on that wall, it takes on a whole new experience for you. And it's a tough day. It's a day you don't want to forget. It's a day that you want to honor your brothers and sisters who gave the ultimate sacrifice. So I jumped in with Jim this day, going down to the law enforcement memorial, and I said, hey, let's do a podcast on the way. And it was noisy. He's got an F-250. He's driving. And it is pounding, pounding rain as we drive. But as we get there, it lightens up. The rain stops. The sun comes out. And it is the perfect May Law Enforcement Memorial Day to honor our fallen. But on our way down there, Jim and I kind of go through his history, kind of talk about some cases, kind of talk about his education, which I find fascinating. You know, I kind of bust his chops saying he's a snowologist, but snow science was his course of study. And that is pretty interesting and so relevant to northern New Hampshire, doing search and rescue in the White Mountains, having that buy-in to understand to be able to converse with those people that do the avalanches, the U.S. Forest Service that actually has snow rangers on, and they assess avalanche danger and post it and put it out there to let everybody know to save lives so you're not recreating in the wrong spot. And if you're recreating in that spot, you know the dangers, you know where to be. And Jim understands all the snow science. Pretty cool stuff. But I always want to let you know, where we're doing it, what we're doing it. It is like wintertime, and I want to bring the snowology into it. But this wasn't done in the winter. It was on the way to the Law Enforcement Memorial. I'm tying two different things in here. May hits again. You're going to hear more about the Law Enforcement Memorial because it's very near and dear to my heart because I do have friends on that wall that made that ultimate sacrifice. And it just it, it hurts me every time I see the news and I see another officer that has made that ultimate sacrifice. And it should hurt you too, because they are out there to protect the citizens of their countries, their territories, whether a game warden, a police officer, a fireman, those people, their first responders are out there for your benefit. And when they die, it should hurt you. You should feel that twinge in you, just like I do. I shed a tear almost every time I see one of our officers has fallen and for senseless, senseless things too. So that's the mind frame as we go down and we talk with Jim. But it doesn't start that way. You're going to hear road noise. You're going to hear rain. And just remember, it just sparked into an ultimate day. Please enjoy episode 25. I was going to plug some of my uh, sponsors, but I'll save that for next time because to be honest with you, I just want you to focus on the sacrifice, the game wardens, that all law enforcement, police, all those sacrifice, border patrol, customs, all these guys put on the line for the safety of the citizens of the United States. And if you're in Canada, you certainly have officers doing the same. The game wardens, the Swiss Army knife of law enforcement, our first job is public safety. 
Our second job is to protect our resources so you can enjoy them, so they don't fade away, so we can see those in the future. So I'm riding down with Jim Sear today, the Law Enforcement Memorial, New Hampshire's Law Enforcement Memorial, to, to honor our fallen. And this kind of feels like deja vu, huh, Jim? Yeah, yeah much. We've done this before, and uh, <laughs> Wayne didn't know his equipment. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm still learning my equipment, so <laughs> That's right. yeah, this might be a take three, for God's sake. might be. Let's hope it isn't. So. <laughs> the cool thing is, when I got in the truck this morning, is uh, I, I couldn't close the back door because of that metal detector. Oh, so, yeah. And that, right off, I'm like, so why do you get the metal detector? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, so why do you have the metal detector? Well, I'm uh, working a working a case right now with a, a bear that was dumped that uh, had pretty good suspicions it was shot, but uh, that definitely confirmed it. So uh, we have a few leads on it, and um, you know, keep in mind too that right now it's uh, May seventeenth. Where definitely so why would someone shoot a bear on May seventeenth? Well, nearest I could imagine is probably somebody uh, got sick of it being around their house. Uh, it's probably someone that didn't pick up their trash or left their bird feeders out or a neighbor was doing uh the same thing and yeah because like most it could be not the guy's fault or the girl's fault i guess we could say yeah there's some girls in the north country that would shoot a bear without hesitation (laughs) this is true and then dump it that's right so i don't want to speculate it's a guy but it's probably a guy exactly yeah i mean but it may not even be his fault his neighbors could have been feeding bears creating a problem Mm -hmm. because we see that too often this is true i always thought we should stalk grizzly bears (laughs) <laughs> or brown bears, you know. Yeah, we could. It, it yeah, might think think about that. Uh, you know, a few grizzly incidents, brown bear incidents. What, would people take care of their garbage? You think? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd be missing a few people, and because it's usually not a bear problem; it's a people problem. Oh, pretty much every time. And, and I've been there. I've had bear problems before. Yeah, Glenn Lucas, Sergeant Lucas. Now, uh, I remember when he was at my house getting done dinner, and he goes outside. He's like, uh, "Hey, Sarge, I got a problem." I'm like, "What's that?" I got two problems, actually, he says. He goes, uh, well, actually, I don't have two problems. You have, I have a problem and you have a problem. <laughs> so my first problem is I lock my keys in my truck. I'm like, okay, we can fix that. Yeah. He goes, the second problem is you have a bear in your dumpster. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, nope. <laughs> so the cracker shells we go and bind up the dumpster. So, so anyways, this big bear? Uh, it's pretty good size to it. Um, it's starting to decompose, so... It's, was it this a nasty autopsy? A little bit. It hasn't really entirely begun yet, so it's got. It's only gotten worse. It's mm. uh, it's a busy. We're always busy, but it's a busy time of year. So I actually went there after doing a search um, at about ten ten to eleven o'clock at night to look it over since I hadn't had any time the previous forty eight hours. Wow. Yeah. So <clears throat> I really wanted to get there and, and do that work because it's it's important. You know, to me, because it's in my patrol, but also because it's it's quite a big violation. I mean, it could yeah. be up to, in reality, it's a misdemeanor. So, mm-hmm. um, at least one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it, it's something I wanted to at least start on. I didn't want to have it just sitting around because I was about to go on some days off. So, you came from a search and rescue, and then you rolled out there 10, 11 at night with a headlamp and mm-hmm. metal detector and doing trying to do a necropsy on this bear to find out what killed it. Yeah. Pretty much, exactly. Find a bullet hole? Uh, not yet, but it looks like there was one. Kind of okay. like, I think I could see it on the left side of the bear, right right near the shoulder. So we're just beginning the investigation. Really, yeah. 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 But it's something that 
I didn't want to pass off to the other guys because it's my area. Plus, you know, I wanted to get a head start on it too. Because as we know, the longer the longer you wait to collect information, things like that, the the harder mm-hmm. it is it can be to make a case. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you get search and rescues going on every day, it's it's difficult to keep up with that stuff. It is. It is. I get it. And uh, yeah, in this time of the spring of the year, you've had some some search and rescues, one right after another after another, huh? Yeah. It just it keeps going. I mean, springtime. We, we get it anyway every year a little bit, but this year it seems like it's a, it's kind of been coming hard and fast. It makes you wonder what's in, for, in store for us. Yeah, and I don't think people process it because as we're driving down the road, you look, there's no snow here. There's, yeah. there's, it looks like a nice, you get a nice sunny day and people want to get out. I get it. You go take any elevation, what are you running into? Yeah, you run into a lot of snow. A yeah. lot of snow. You're hitting, figured this year, it's been record snowfall in a lot of locations. Um, and we never really had a real melt out. It's uh, up in up in the Androscoggin River Valley. I mean, we had snow starting the first week of October, and it didn't really melt out in the valleys until probably a month ago. Um, you know, pretty much mid-April, um, and there's still some piles left in places. So up up high, there's probably five, six, seven feet of snow on the ridges, depending on where you are. Mm. And uh, we're fast approaching June. Think we'll have snow in July? Oh yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, there'll be some some patches in places like in the deep ravines where it holds the cold air. Yeah. Um, some of the high locations too. I've seen that before on Mount Washington, and I've seen it snow in July. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We were on a rescue, and it, it caught for you know a few minutes and snowed on us. You know, and I forget <laughs> the date. It was July. I couldn't believe it. Huntington's Ravine, doing a search and rescue, probably one of the hardest ones I ever did. And it, and it went snowed. Went snowed. I was snowed. like, really? And you, you like snow, don't you? I do, but there's a limit. <laughs> there is a limit. <laughs> there is a limit. Don't you have like a degree in snowology? Uh, yeah, pretty close. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know. It might sound... Well, what, what's the technical name for that? <laughs> technical name is uh, snow science, but snow, snow, snow science. Snow, snowology That doesn't sound technical like, at all. It doesn't. No, it's kind <laughs> Snowology of, actually sounds snow, better. It really does. <laughs> it, it sounds like an actual science. Snow science sounds like something that you... Uh, give your parents as an excuse to mm-hmm. go to college out west yeah and when in reality you're just skiing but thank uh, goodness you know it says in our thing related fields and you know apparently right. snow science is a related field with us so oh, very much so yeah, yeah well like you said it's affecting you in search and rescue for sure that's right i'm sure you could tell us the depths and how much moisture it's holding and what we can expect hydrology i can't even say that name uh, hydrolog- hydrologically speaking. yeah hydrologically speaking <laughs> so that, that's water for everybody that doesn't know yeah. draining but that's all kind of the study of snow, right? It's kind of all the study of snow right there. And Does even, your degree say snow science on it? It actually says uh, snow geography and GIS. Okay. Yeah. So it's that like. sounds better. They could have put snow science on it. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It could have. I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they did either. It's, uh, yeah, because it's a division of earth sciences. So I, uh, a lot of math and hard sciences, but we did a lot of uh, mountain geography and we actually had a class, a high-level class called biogeography. Starts paralleling a little bit of the fishing game world. I kind of, because uh, I grew up in northern New Hampshire, and I heard about this, and one of the representatives for uh, Montana State came to our school um, my senior year, and I was sold on it, didn't put in for anything else when I was wow. originally planning on going for a fish and wildlife biology degree somewhere, and uh just went for it and didn't look back and still ended up where 
I kind of wanted to be anyway, so it's kind of funny that way. Definitely <laughs> kind of funny that way. Yeah. Huh. That's neat how that all rolls and how we find our find our spot to come around back around. You, did you really want to be a, a snow science or? Yeah, I I got really I got really into it. Um, it was something I was pursuing a lot because I, I wanted to be I wanted to be a conservation officer since I was a little kid, but I really got into the snow science field and wanted to do uh, be get into snow ranger work and things like that, like forecasting for avalanche danger. But um, it just wasn't panning out. Um, it's it's a very it's not a lot of jobs out there to do that, is there? No, not really. No, wow. it's it's pretty it's pretty tight. If you get into it, it's good, but um, you know it's just it's a little bit difficult to get into it. And plus, when I was in school, it, the some of the minimal requirements changed from a bachelor's to a master's, and that's a big step. Wow. Yeah. So I ended up moving back home, working on Mount Washington as a park ranger for a while and working as a ski patroller. And that's a pretty awesome job. Oh, yeah. Working on Mount Washington, right? Yeah, that was a that was another dream job besides this one. That's for mm-hmm. sure. That was that was great. Working with a lot of people. It's definitely 100% in the tourism industry. but And you got to stay up and sleep up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah live, live there four days a week come down and have a few days off and um see the world's worst weather literally it's what's the fastest wind speed you saw up there personally uh personally it was uh i think it's 139.5 or 0.8 is during uh hurricane sandy wow 2012 did you try to step out in it i was outside in like uh, 120 yeah i think was a gust but i don't think i was hitting the brunt force of it and it's i can tell you you don't want to be very far from a building or shelter in that kind of weather um and luckily because it blows so hard up there there's not much stuff flying around but you still want to be very safe uh very safe and careful when you do that kind of stuff um it's something that you don't want to be hiking in and you wouldn't be able to hike in i can promise you that right and i haven't been up there and that that speed but i've been up in you know 60s 70s and gusting who knows what it was gusting but uh i always uh nick that was uh my the cameraman for northwood's law up there one day i was just about to lose my feet and i was turning around to talk <laughs> to him as he lost his and, and and i will say he did a great job of holding the camera he balled up and rolled the, with the camera to save the camera but <laughs> That's pretty good you know yeah but i got to see him lose his feet and go that you know go tumbling tumbling yeah so <laughs> Which was uh, yeah, about time to go in. So and that that was probably a good gust. I, who knows what it was, but it was it was pretty windy. The other thing I always and I always forget to tell people if they haven't been up there. I mean, you guys usually know, don't open two doors at once no. in a cruiser. So because oh, yeah. it blows all the paperwork out. Everything gets sucked right out like yep. a vacuum. Yep, I think I did that with Nick too. As he opened up the door, I'm like, no, and <laughs> as it sucked every piece of paperwork I had out and uh, gone, so, gone. And he just looks at me. He goes, wow. <laughs> and it was wild to see 200 pieces of paper go flying past you at 70 miles an hour. Exactly. Because so, it creates that wind tunnel. So it, was, it just uh, sucks it right through. Yeah. So I always try to tell people if they're new, don't open two doors at once. Just it doesn't work. So it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool thing. And uh, I know I used to call you all the time on top of Mount Washington because mm-hmm. uh, you were healthy and willing to do search and rescue oh yeah we're doing from the top worked out pretty good numerous times huh it did yeah definitely it it helped out you'd be 
close to things, and I can tell you there's definitely a few, uh, I think of a few situations where I think uh, if we weren't able to do that or there wasn't somebody that was up there to go down, I think it could have survivability on some of these rescues was would have been slim to none. Oh, when, yeah. when you're there and you can respond and I can pick up a phone and ask you to do that was priceless. Yeah. Priceless. It, it Absolutely. Was, I'm sure you guys saved lives. So you and uh, Mike Pelchek, uh, Mountain Mike, mm-hmm. uh, what an awesome guy. What a great job he did through his career. What an asset. He just, and, I, and I'm going to do a podcast with Mike, I hope. I oh, hope he'll come great. on the show because, yeah, because he's just, uh, you know, I think every game warden, you know, Doug used to rely on his expertise. I relied on his expertise. I'm sure, you know, Lieutenant Ober is relying on his expertise because you pick him up. You pick up the phone and you run stuff by him, and he just knows exactly. the presidential so well, mm-hmm. and has been involved with the Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue Team for so long that he's just a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, for forever. I mean, he would, um, you know, talking to him because I, I worked with him. He was my boss for as a manager of the state park up there for the four uh, summers I worked there, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think he he's been doing rescue for. I might be wrong, but I feel like it's at least 35 years or more now. I mean, he started getting into it when Paul Doherty was in District 1. Mm. Like, you know, kind of one of those legends. And he, like, I think he, he picked up a lot of stuff from him. Um, you just show up. I think it was a story, but you'll get that, I think, in the podcast when you talk to Mike. Yeah. Because uh, he'll, he'll have plenty of stories. He's seen a lot. Oh, he certainly has. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one because uh... – you know, just uh, the information, and you know, as a lieutenant, you got to take all the information you can from every aspect, and then evaluate it, and then make decisions based on that. And you would be foolish not to talk to Mike Pelchek about a search and rescue operation and get his opinion. And most of the time, I went with his opinion because it was probably the best one out there. Oh yeah. Sometimes maybe we attacked it from two different angles. I know I sent you know rescuers up different ways to see who would get there first, and the, the troubles they would encounter along the way. You know were different. We sent quite a few up along the ridge line in the winter time. Mike would j- drive the snowcat up with a crew team, and off they'd go. So good, good stuff up there. It's... Yeah. Anything particular story you remember in Mount Washington Ooh. that uh, you can uh, <laughs> tell us? I mean. I remember just having dinner up there. I think I ate with you guys once on a search and rescue. You guys were all down in your little hole there in the basement yes. of uh, <laughs> the, the thing. And, you know, that was a big deal up there was eating dinner. Oh, yeah. That was, was an huge. event. That was quite a thing that we'd do, like, at least once a week um, in our living quarters because you'd have a full kitchen and everything like that. You had to bring your own food up. Um, we would do kind of like a community dinner. And uh, it was something that we would all partake in. Somebody would be responsible for bringing one thing or another. Um, and uh, that would be quite the, the get-together. And if there's anybody around and we had food, it's, you know, share with them. Pretty much pretty much anybody that's going to be helping all the rescues, like any of the officers at the time, like, hey, you, you want some food? We got we actually got done with this rescue before midnight. You want some? <laughs> you know? Mm. <laughs> um, and it's... Uh, Really, it's always been a sense of community up there. I mean, there's buildings been up there forever, but yeah. I can remember those are always fond memories. And then I can think of a few. Um, it's one of those ones where you start talking about it, you can start thinking about all these different kinds of stories. But yeah, um, I can remember one of the crazier rescues I was on was an individual fell in Huntington Ravine 
and uh, broke. He ended up falling, I think, probably like 60 or 70 feet on the rocks, and he broke both his arms and, and a, I think some some fingers and maybe even hit his face. And we saved his life and he and all that stuff, but it was quite the – it was kind of a rainy day in there, and, and not, Huntington Ravine is not anything you want to yeah, mess no, with. Yeah, it's, no, it's a pretty much vertical. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that's a very – crazy it's the most challenging trail in the white mountains in my opinion oh yeah and in the amc uh guide as well yeah exactly it's it's serious business i mean it's like um kind of low grade rock climbing without ropes um is the best way to put it um and so there's that kind of stuff which is more Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Sort of a sobering memories, but there's yeah. also really good ones. Oh, did that too. guy, did you have to fly out? Yeah, we ended up we carried him all the way down, and then uh, they uh, the Dart helicopter came. And I, I hate carrying down through Huntington's uh, Ravine. Oh God! And for those, I mean, if you can Google pictures of Huntington's Ravine, that that would be worthwhile because it's a it's a crazy place. There's boulders in there the size of oh. Mack trucks. That you go under the, the, the trail oh, and yeah. over, and you carry this litter with this person that's been broken out, and it's just so exhausting. It's just... And it's wet. It's wet, slippery. Slippery. That year, the July, it snowed on us, you know? <laughs> and nobody had gear. I farmed all my gear out because yeah. uh, nobody had... It was July. You didn't, you didn't expect to eat a fleece. You exactly. It, it was miserable. It, it's wild in there. You mm-hmm. get... Any of our mountains, you know, you end up, it's where people end up getting in trouble as they go, oh, well, I, uh, it's 65 and sunny down here, so it, it must be the same up there. And they get up there and it's in the clouds, freezing rain and 28 degrees and blowing 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, it's, World's worst weather. Oh, yeah. That's the truth. And people people laugh about that. I've, I've, I've had, you know, rescues where I've seen pictures in there bones and they're laughing about the signs of world war's weather and here i am had to rescue them exactly uh, it's not, not a laughing matter and, nah. and as a snowologist i mean i've heard that there's like three different fronts that hit that general area that's why it yeah. is the weather it is so can you explain that to me as a scientist yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh you know i'm no no meteorologist on the summit and uh but it's essentially it's like you got I believe it's the way it's described is like three distinct jet streams that cross near um, or right right over like the White Mountain. And we're not far from the ocean, which provides a lot of energy. And we're the highest thing for quite a long time. And it's orientation, so very much north-south oriented. So you get these big kind of like air masses moving across uh, some kind of open spaces. And it's Almost the best way to describe it is it's like if you turned on your hose outside, the garden hose, and you put a, your thumb over it, the water all of a sudden goes way faster and shoots way farther. Your thumb is essentially Mount Washington 
and the presidential range in the middle of the um, jet stream and then not necessarily jet stream but the airflow mm. so it condenses it really fast because it's pretty much climbing like 5,000 feet from the valley floor up in a very short distance so that has to get through so it has to speed up mm. um, it's kind of the uh, I believe it's the Venturi effect. I might get it corrected on that, but it's kind of like what is used in a carburetor. Gotcha. Yeah. So, like, you narrow down the, the point, and then it makes it go faster. That's basically why we don't have trees above 4,000 feet, then. Exactly. Whereas in most places around the country, 4,000 footers aren't a big deal because you go out west and they got, you know, 12,000 footers, right? Exactly. So. A, a really good way I tried to describe it to people was... I lived in living in Montana for six years. You take here, like uh, our tree lines, about about three, maybe like thirty seven hundred feet or so, and we're just shy of uh, the forty five degrees north. If you go out to the Rocky Mountains and about the same latitude north, tree line I think must be it's got to be somewhere around like the eight or nine thousand foot mark. And uh, just, that just, just shows, I mean, granted, all mountains have bad weather, but ours is just that much more severe when we get it, uh, that nothing can grow up there. I mean, the, the average over um, the average over the long term up there is about 35 miles per hour on any given day. Mm. That's pretty much knocking over weak trees down here in the valley. Yeah, no uh, doubt. But... Mm. Oh, it's, uh, it's a crazy spot. I mean, but then I also, some of the more interesting stuff I can remember is sometimes it'd be like animals that also get up there that aren't usually up there. There's a lot of small animals that live there, but there's been moose spotted up there. And, and um, I saw a bear actually running across the summit one time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, people have told me they've found beavers up there and. I've heard of them having to trap that, them out. That was lost. Lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very yeah, lost. The beaver that climbed up. Yeah, that, yeah. It's very much. It, it ran out of water and they you didn't know where kidding. to go. <laughs> that was rabid. Yeah, that's right. Probably <laughs> going to get anywhere near that thing. No. <laughs> and oh. Speaking of weather, we're heading down to Law Enforcement Memorial and it is pouring, so... I don't know what exactly will be picked up in the podcast or not. I think it adds a little, you know, realism to sitting in a cruiser every now and then. The the radio chimes on. Um, if anybody can hear that rain, it's it's raining down good. So. Um, oh, it's pouring. You, you talked about being a, a kid and wanting to be a game warden. Mm-hmm. How'd that come about? I I grew up kind of doing a lot of different things out outside hunting, fishing, a lot of hiking and skiing and everything like that. So I, I knew I wanted to do something outdoors, but I mean, obviously out of those some of those pursuits, you see game wardens on a somewhat regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side too is I have some family relation in, in uh, with with fishing game. My grandfather was uh, retired as a lieutenant in District One, and just saw what what kind of things I offered him. And as I got older, the more I was like, wow, this is. This is kind of exactly what I'm looking for is to uh, be a, a conservation officer in, in uh, New Hampshire. It's kind of offers everything I'd, I'd like to be doing with a career. Jim's talking about his grandfather, who was Bill Hastings. I certainly had the honor of meeting him when I certainly got into the patrol 
wish I spent a little more time. Although when you're young and foolish, you forget about the history kind of sort of thing. And, you know, I wish I would have spent a lot more time actually with the Doherty's, the Hastings, when I arrived here to, yeah. to get to know them a little bit better than I did. But yeah, your, your grandpa was a mountain of a man, eh? He was a huge man, big man. Mm-hmm. Is, is the mountain Hastings named after him? Uh, I know he's got a, a town forest named after him. <laughs> he's got that. I always wondered at, at Hastings Mountain. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. It's, um, I don't, you know, the mountain's not, but the family history goes back a ways in the Bethel area. Okay. So you got a lot. I, I believe so it it's may after, be some family relation to the mountain. Exactly. Like Hastings Campground in Evans Notch, that used to be the town of Hastings. Gotcha. Um, like in the Wild River, which ended up being a logging town. So it doesn't exist anymore when it got logged out. Mm-hmm. It was all done. Huh. Um, and Your family has roots that area for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, yeah. Neat. Yeah, I've been in Bethel um, since, like, I think the early 1700s. Mm-hmm. It's quite a, it's a lengthy history, that's for sure. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things they say it's, you can... You know, remove remove someone from the mountains, but you can't remove the mountains from them. So you kind of oh. end up getting dragged back all the time. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, maybe you can clarify this for me. Maybe you know, because I always heard your grandfather held a record for carrying the most stuff up <laughs> Mount Washington. Yeah. Can, can you shed a light on that? Yeah. it's uh, He, because he actually, he was a Marine. He had, like, kind of before he became a uh, conservation officer, he was a, a Marine and then he um, ended up, when he came back, he worked for the observatory for a little bit on the summit. And he also worked for the AMC at Lakes of the Clouds Hut. So Lakes of the Clouds uh, is not too far below the summit, like a mile and a half. Supplies, they used to have to, they still do actually, carry the supplies to and from the, uh, the shelter. Yeah, I haven't heard the exact weight, but I, I've heard many times that he has uh he has a good record with it but i've also seen uh joke photographs from back in the um kind of like early 50s late 40s of him with a a pack board with boxes stacked like you know seven eight feet above his head but i heard that and that was a joke that was a joke yeah Huh. But, I, I've seen him too, and I always thought it was true. I thought that I've heard both things, so I, I've, it's one thing I can't really track down. But I want to get those pictures and get a get a photocopy of them. Okay. Yeah, because back in that day, who would have joked with that? Right. Would, they would have had to stack that up and put it on his back. Exactly. And he would have had to been part of the joke. Exactly. And what, and, and maybe he was. I. Your grandfather didn't strike me as a funny man. <laughs> he he, he struck me as a pretty serious guy. Yeah, very, very stoic from yes. you know, what I remember as a child growing up. And But it's funny because then you see there's some other... I've seen a few goofy photographs from the yeah. uh, AMC days. Uh, and you're like, you don't really think of that that generation of... Especially him, you're like, kind of screwing around up there. And right. I guess he must have. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess all of us do. Some of us have more tendency than others. But, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, every time, you know, I met him, he, he just struck me as a very, I think, stoic is a perfect uh, description of your grandfather. So, you oh, know, yeah. just calm, collective, serious. So not not the joking type. Not really. Yeah, very. Not like that uh, that Rab Bennett that he used to chase around. <laughs> That's right. You know, so, <laughs> 
Yeah, well, we'll see if Rob will come on this show and tell about his early days of being yes. chased by uh, the game warden Bill Hastings. So That would be um, awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, so that's that's quite a legacy to have. I don't know how to bring this up, but I always always remember your grandfather's funeral. So because oh, yeah. we, uh, we as a district carried him in his big oak casket out, and then uh, we had did a graveside too, Bethel area. It's off the North Side Road and yes. Bethel Cemetery. Yeah, Do you remember I, that? Because that was oh yeah, you were pro- yeah. I was um, that was my senior year of high school. I just wow. started my senior year. Actually, I believe that that was a first or second day of school i think was the service wow and um but i remember it very clearly i can remember doug grolinski's speech mm-hmm. um he was a lieutenant at the time and, and and i mean he grew up in my grandfather's patrol so yes he's very familiar with him yes yeah that was that was quite the showing and at that point he had been retired for 20 years i think maybe just over 20 years because mm-hmm. he retired in the 80s and uh but uh, I remember that one that well, and um, it was quite the, he's, yeah, I mean, probably one of my biggest role models, and I wish, I wish he, he was still around, he'd be in his 90s, I believe, mm-hmm. if he was still around now, if he was, I would be, I'd be talking to him about stuff, oh, yeah, because yeah, I'd really like to know, especially now being in uniform. And I'm, I'm sure he'd be proud, very proud that you were New Hampshire conservation <laughs> officer. I'd like to so, think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he would have been. It's, uh, um, and I always end up, it's funny because you mentioned him being kind of, you know, being stoic and the thing that kind of strikes me the most is I've heard more stories about his exploits and situations involving him from other people than I'd ever heard from him. So that's what's kind of, it's kind of an interesting aspect to it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he wasn't one to toot his own horn, but oh yeah, I'm sure he could, uh, you know, tell you how it was. So <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I heard he was. Uh, everyone describes him as just being a massive, you know, very big man. That you know, few words, but when he spoke, it it meant something. I mean, you know, it's kind of like when he spoke, you didn't you didn't say anything because you wanted to know what he was. He kind of kept his card close to his chest and. And only played him when he thought it was really important to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is kind of, uh, they're definitely big shoes to fill. And, I mean, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? You know, that uh, kind absolutely. of cliche. Yeah. I mean, I think of Arthur Muse as a mountain named after him. Exactly. And had a mountain named after him when he was alive. Which is. Unheard of. Yeah, like that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Yeah. But once you know Arthur, he certainly wasn't a mountain of a man in stature, mm-hmm. but he was a mountain of a man in character. Character. So, and those guys, uh, they all were. That whole, the Doherty's, the Hastings, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Arthur Muses of that day, you know, the guys that went before us uh, made an impression on their community, made an impression on their states. It's, yeah, we stand on the shoulders of giants, absolutely. That's for sure. Wow. I mean, how often was it in your career that, you know, someone would, end up talking about like the the old game wardens and stuff like that and i mean not talking about the game warden that covered it before you but yeah 30 40 years prior oh, to there's your there's more arrival. arthur muse stories out there that it's unbelievable to hear them it's, and it's always out of like thin air arthur appears you <laughs> right? know and i'm like when you hear the first story you kind of shake it off but after about the third or the fourth or the fifth story you know, you're like, wow, you're like, that, that man was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And just had, had a good way about him, I think. And uh, 
knew how to handle people, which was huge. Which is huge. Well, so, when you hear like you hear stories about um, about those uh, about like say Arthur's uh, character from all walks of life, not just you know an upstanding, somewhat what you'd consider an upstanding citizen. Maybe somebody that you know is like a well-known poacher, and be like, "Yeah, he caught me, but he's a real decent guy about it." Exactly. Yeah, you know, and it's it kind I, of. I never held a grudge unless you did. Yeah. So I, I could turn around and I can I can <laughs> shake very many people's hands that I have written tickets to and arrested. So. Oh yeah. Um, the, the aim at the end of the day is the change of behavior. And that's what I think. To me, and I don't remember which one of the. Uh, training officers I had as a trainee that said it, maybe it is everybody, but a successful like end to a case is no matter what you're charging them with the, the person with, if they're shaking your hand at the end of it. I mean, you know, they don't have to, you don't have to, but if they offer a handshake, even though you just wrote them a ticket where they're going to maybe lose their license, and if you did the right thing and they think you did the right thing and you treat them well, I've had plenty of handshakes at the end of an interaction where mm-hmm. it's going to hurt them walking away with it, but they realize that they're caught doing wrong and, yep. and they and hopefully you change that behavior so you don't catch them again. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So that's kind of the goal in the end of it. And that's, you know, the good and the bad reactions. It's like what make this career, I can tell you. And I've only been on three years and it's. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. Time flies. It got, had, had any good wildlife cases in that three years? Can you stand uh, out in your head? Let's see. I'm trying to think of... Hmm. Maybe someone you worked with or something. I tried to get you a night hunting case. So, oh, I uh, Everybody else in the district has made a night hunting case with me except for you. Exactly. I, I, I worked hard at it, but I wasn't <laughs> successful. So. We're, we're trying. We're yeah. trying hard. I mean, it's still... Yeah, you were my only failure. God, Wayne. So, everybody else I made cases with. So I... Well, we had like, we really only ended up having one deer season together. So, right. Everybody else had how many with you? You know, at least Eric had like five. That's right. And then the first day in the district, he got a night hunting case. So, which is I, impressive. I thought I could do that with you, but no. Uh, so. we're, <laughs> we're trying to go for it. That's for sure. I mean, well, we certainly worked hard at it. There's no doubt about it. And night hunting truth. cases aren't like they were years and years ago. It's, they are few and far between, mm-hmm. but they're still uh, probably the biggest case that we do because I think we have the biggest effect on it. So because wildlife's so vulnerable at night and can be easily preyed upon, so by a poacher. Exactly. So I think that's why we uh, we try to protect those animals at night as much as we can. It's so. really, and it's really evolved too. The the violation and the and the way the poacher does it. And the technology is evolving too. So I'm. Oh yeah. Plan on uh, Jamie Woodward. I'm gonna have a, a podcast with him regarding the technology. And Jamie runs the archery department at LL Cody's in Errol, New Hampshire. And yeah, I just he's been around forever. And be a good one to talk about the technology and yeah, you know, crossbows, night vision. There's, there's all kinds of new stuff that's becoming affordable. Exactly. It's been around when I was around, but it wasn't affordable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Your your average Joe couldn't buy it now. The average Joe wants to shell out a you know three or four grand. He can he can do pretty good. He can do really well. Yeah. And it's you can the smart poacher, the ones that we are very difficult to catch, but that we look for. It's like that twelve point buck, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah that that's the guy that understands that it's getting harder, and yeah. uh, we need to. We and some of the hunters, you know, always ask, how, how, you know, how can you be a hunter and not 
from work all of you know hunting season basically and i'm like yeah the 12 point buck is uh the poacher you mount on the wall exactly you know we're, we're very much like you guys we're very much driven like you guys we just have a different prey yeah very very different and it's uh it's harder to it's harder to pattern some of them some of them is really easy you like you know this is this is their calling card this is what they do they've been caught a million times but some of them you're like they don't even have a history <laughs> you never <laughs> see them and you don't even know who they are yeah <laughs> so um you don't even hear rumors because they know what they're doing right um, you know one of, one of the investigations and uh it's not wildlife related but i don't think a lot of people understand that we do a lot of landowner issues too and that illegal trail that you ended up investigating that had bridges on the, the national forest and yeah. had all kinds of things that's a that's a pretty interesting that if you want to talk about that a little and give how we protect landowners too because that's yeah. part of our job certainly i mean we essentially this one and it actually was found during hunting season more or less because of hunting season it was on a piece of property that was posted with a power line going through it there's an individual that had uh had written permission to hunt on that land and he's up there and he heard all sorts of racket like uh hammers and everything like that and he didn't think anything of it he, he thought that maybe um, the power line crew or gas line crew working and uh, he was up there another day and he decided to go investigate and he found uh bridges and some people there working on them and uh, he knew whose property it was because he was on it and he knew the property line and uh he questioned like you know why do you have permission to do this what's going on here and uh the violators like said you know well i'm building a snowmobile trail and i have permission or he's like you know you definitely do not have permission and essentially this person was trying to build a snowmobile trail a rogue one that would connect where he had uh written permission to ride to another location and it actually started kind of in the national forest and then cut across, was going to cut across numerous landowners and then also cross uh, Route 110 in Stark, which had also been illegal to do uh, because <laughs> you need to get permission from the DOT. So when I heard about this, I walked up in and, and they described it. And when you hear about someone making a trail and bridges, you think like a few pallets laid on a brook. Yep. You're like, oh, whatever. I'm going to go in there and there's going to be some pallets and I'll investigate it. I might find who it is, but, you know, it's it's going to be something that will warrant a ticket, but it's probably not going to be anything huge. And uh, I get in there, and there's three bridges, uh, and they use, like, those wooden I-beams to construct them. So they're probably, they're, like, you know, 12 feet wide. This is a serious bridge. A serious bridge. The biggest one was 50 feet long. 50. <laughs> 50 wow. feet. Wow. And this individual obviously built this over like a, a couple week period. So this person had I a think the length of my house is 48. I mean, that's. <laughs> it's, wow. You think about it, you're like, this is, that's impressive. It's very impressive. It's a lot of work. That's a lot what, of work. What do you think in monetary value to build that bridge 50 feet long was? God, I just, just materials. I think it was probably approaching like the fifteen, sixteen hundred dollar range Jeez. to do that. Yeah, for that um, one bridge, and then he did more plus all the labor. All the labor, and then going all illegally. There. All illegally, yeah. Uh, operate with a, using like a side by side to get the material out there. Um, 
you know. Can you imagine being the landowner and walking out and seeing this trail, the Taj Mahal of trails, <laughs> right? Fifty foot bridge on your land. I'd be like, huh? Be like, what? Wait a minute. Like, let's just put it this way, Wayne. It was so well built. I had to ask the clubs if they were making a trail up there because it looked like a club trail. Wow. I'm like, you know what? What's going on here? Um, I, I did a lot of. I tracked down everything, looked for anyone that have a reason to be there, and couldn't find anything. And ended up through a lot of questioning and figuring this out. It, I uh, ended up tracking down who built it, and then that investigation led me into um, finding, going to a bunch of different hardware stores and locating the um, where he bought the materials, and uh, pretty much getting a receipt for all these materials, which I could go on the receipt. And see all this, like, you know, carriage bolts, lag bolts, um, <laughs> this type of wood, that type of wood, these uh, wooden I-beams. And matching up the material list of what was there? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's pretty much matched identical to it. Yeah. Um, even to, like, the, the drill bits that are used for, you know, the, di- the diameter of, like, the carriage bolts and the lag bolts. Wow. That all matched up. and, um, and I, I uh, remember it was a very detailed investigation. It was cool. definitely lengthy. Mm-hmm. It was it was good though. It was satisfying because yeah. I ended up pulling the national forest into it too, which you mentioned is because mm. one of the bridges was on the national forest. Besides the fact that he was operating all the way across it, I don't know the exact. And, and exact. people can be charged by the state and by the Fed. Similar violations are the same violation. Exactly. So I don't think people understand that when they break federal rules. That's a whole different game. It may be have, we may have the same state rule, but they can get charged by the state and by the federal government. That's right. Exactly. And I don't think people quite grasp that concept. And, you know, you can't – some people will say, oh, you know, I can, I can do all this stuff on federal land, say, in, like, the West or something. It's like, well, this is a very different kind of federal land. The national forest, you know, unless you have permission or it's a trail – you can't operate operate any motorized vehicles. So we also have a lot more population surrounding it. And I mm-hmm. think I think the National Forest, last I heard, gets like six or seven million visitors a year. Yep. So I mean it it's used and mm-hmm. to some extent in some locations it's definitely abused. But um, yeah. yeah, this one ended up um, working with the landowner. Um, I located this individual. Went there with the local. Um, the uh, law enforcement officer for the National Forest did some interviews. The guy was very open. He was uh, uh, very reasonable with us. I mean, we, we had him pretty much dead the rights on it. We, we knew who was up there. I had all the evidence that he bought these supplies and materials. He worked with me. Ultimately, uh, I charged him on uh, filling and dredging of wetlands because he had to put these uprights to hold the bridge up this 50 foot by 12 foot bridge up there so he had to put these posts in the river and you know kind of divert the water a little bit and all this kind of stuff and that's under force and land law that's filling and dredging which can be a misdemeanor because of his cooperation we we worked with him and and that's the main thing with any case if people work with us we'll work with them exactly you know these aren't the crimes of the century usually and yeah. it's when they start lying, you start digging yourself a hole, or and then we catch you in those lies. And, yeah, that, that makes it worse. Much Generally, worse. people that say, yeah, I messed up, and uh, how can we resolve this? Yeah. We try to work with them. We can, we'll, we'll do what we can, you know. We, 
can't make it go away, but we can at least right. make it less painful. Right. Um, and then working with the landowners because that's so important. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is pure landowner relations. And I mean, yeah, um, we have full time positions for that landowner relations. You know, exactly. Because it's so important to work with the landowner to keep land open for hunting, for fishing, for wildlife. Yeah, so that, that, that piece there. That's, that's kind of why huge. I brought this whole case up, Jim, because that, that's an essential part of being a game warden is that liaison, so to speak, with mm-hmm. landowners and trying to keep all that stuff open. So Yeah. I mean, that's... And what a heck of a job you did on that case. It was good. It was satisfying. I mean, I'm satisfied even with, like, the stuff that when it violates right in front of you, but there's something special about you do the investigation and you have to... It, you track stuff down over a period of time and, and it ends up pointing you to the, in the direction and you see it all the way through. And, and with this one, we got it worked out where the landowner was pretty happy with, uh, with how I was handling it. And, um, as it was left, he was going to actually donate those bridges that are built on his property to one of the local clubs. Yeah. The guy's, uh, work <laughs> didn't go to waste mm-hmm. and um you know it, it's it's not like it's just gonna be used for firewood or something and ended up it's supposedly supposed to be getting used for a trail system it all comes around kind of full circle and when you can make it full circle that's what matters you know yeah and especially when you can get a conclusion for a landowner mm-hmm. i mean that's also because yeah, you have a victim yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's not a victimless crime. There's a victim involved there. Exactly, so. and that's that was a that was a good one. Um, I really I really like that, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and I have some that I'm working on right now. That several actually I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm waiting for a conclusion on everything. Yeah, because these from, these things don't happen overnight. These are sometimes long term investigations. Oh, very much so. I mean, I have know. a. I have a, a dumping case from last September that I'm still waiting on uh, on information from a credit card company for uh, through a warrant and everything like that. And that's that's a long process. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something else that we take seriously, and it's it's funny because certain officers take it more seriously than the others. Matt Holmes is uh, kind of got a reputation for digging through trash and finding who dumped it and oh, being yeah. taking it very seriously. And doing everything he can to get those people to dump trash because that's, you know, hates it so much oh. and it's his forte. He's very good at it. Very good so, at it. I've, yeah. I've learned a few things from him. And I know I'm going to learn some more. Yeah. No, and that's uh, those are great things to hand on because it's the same thing with a deer investigation, a moose investigation, a bear investigation. Mm-hmm. Fundamentals are the same. They really so, are. And that's and I, good yeah. to keep your skills honed to that, too. Yeah, you'll so, keep some uh, some interview interviewing going on. And in New Hampshire, we don't have a special investigation unit or an investigation unit. You're it. You're the detective. You're the you're, you're everything. Yeah, you're the you're the foot patrol. You're the you're prosecutor. The prosecutor. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're everything. Wait, so. Which works out well, I think, because you're all those things. You can curtail it to what you need to and mm-hmm. make decisions based on that. So I think it's a it's a good system. I'm, I, you know, when I talk to people, it's, sometimes it's overwhelming when you get attorneys involved and you're answering motions and stuff like that but i know a lot of other police officers that don't have as much say wish they had more say when it came mm. to this yeah so definitely neat and i think it going knowing we have to prosecute our own cases and everything i think it 
it also aids in giving us a reputation of if we ever have to do some real high level thing where we bring in like the county attorney, like we we know what's expected and what's needed for prosecution, so we right. don't leave stones unturned. <laughs> yes, the the most thorough investigation I ever saw given to the county attorney was your case. Yeah, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yep, no. Uh, <laughs> And it was because you were new. You took he, he gave you that list of everything he wanted, and you wanted to put everything on that list. Where I would have been like, "Yeah, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need that." So, <laughs> hey, here's your file, county attorney. That's it. But I think you checked off everything on his list. He even said to me, "He's like, I, I've never had anything like this before." <laughs> which so, which you know, was it was an awesome. What was it? Three inches thick. Oh, it's on huge. A serious bodily injury, ATV accident, right? Yep. With, D, with DUI. With and- DUI. And, uh, Where the guy actually shoved his shoulder into a tree, and there was still flesh on the tree left, wasn't there? Exactly. It was. It was. I'm. You know. I'm glad that that individual lived, but you know, God forbid if he hurt somebody else. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is this is something that we we don't take lightly. It's it's not. I'll just walk away from it, kind of thing. Like we we follow it to the end. Right. And um, it's. And you did. You yeah. did. <laughs> Other officers would be like, I couldn't get that. And I would have been like, yep. So he doesn't expect you to get that. But no, you you got everything. And I was wondering what was taking so long. I mean, I, several times I'd ask you, hey, Jim, where's this? Where's that? Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on I'm it. I'm working on it. Yeah. And when you came and it was three inches thick, I'm like, holy moly, I guess you worked on it. <laughs> so, and, he, and the county attorney thought the same. He's like, I have never had such a thorough investigation done. So oh. I'm like, that's because he's new. and he said i well i hope he continues on (laughs) (laughs) and and from that feedback i'm like well i'm gonna make sure i i fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Try to meet that level again or exceed it. I don't, yes. You know, it's... Uh, you gave him everything he needed and which made his job so much easier. When they start arguing this and arguing that, he can pull out all this information and say, yeah, it's not exactly how it happened and here is how it is because I have a sworn affidavit from here. So... Yeah. No, good good work on that case for sure. That was another that was another good one that was really satisfying. I mean, those cases fortunately, I mean this it went on for a year, but some other guys in the similar cases will go on three, four years. But mm-hmm. luckily it got a conclusion and and uh, for instance, like on that scene investigation the day after, I probably spent like an hour and a half, two hours there doing measurements, you know. It was and it was a Sunday. So, I mean, there's other calls going on. I think there's another crash I think Matt went to for me because I was yep. trying to document it while some evidence was still there. And, and you got to why it's still there because once that's gone, it's gone. It's gone. You know, nothing you can do. So spend all the time you can with that scene. Mm-hmm. Get all the information. You know, my lieutenant, when I started, Eric Stoll, take as many pictures as you can. You know, just pictures like crazy because you never, you can look back on them. That scene's going to be gone. So just take all the evidence you can and then more. Exactly. You can't. You can't have too much. No. You know, it's, and you never know. There might be something where. And then you end up in a court three years later, and you can fall back onto that 
thorough investigation mm -hmm. and you're going to look really good because it's not, oh, I don't remember. Oh, I didn't do this. Oh, I didn't do that. You know, it's the, here it is. There it is. You know, and it just makes for a solid case. It, it really does. And you, and you can, I feel like if you document it like crazy and then if as a, as a CEO, it's like, you know, I present that. It's like my name's on it forever. Mm -hmm. You know, if any anybody looks at it down the road for any for any reason, like, well, this is this is what he has. I want to maintain that reputation. It's, Absolutely, it's, it's really in the the end of the day. Yeah, all yeah. you all you got is your reputation. That's right. And we've we've taken some of these snowmobile and ATV accidents where we've had the the crime lab come up and you know remove uh, fibers from cowlings of snowmobiles and atvs in order to make a case where the guy got struck or mm -hmm. something like that and it's uh pretty intense uh but good investigations good prosecutions but once it gets to that county attorney level it's out of our hands so everything we provide to them is just essential exactly oh. exactly and it's yeah and then while you're in the midst of it you're so i feel like you're so uh involved and you know overtaken by it but then when you're done you're like well i was actually kind of yes i enjoyed that <laughs> it was a good yeah. time and you I hate it while you have it and while you're doing it because it is overwhelming but uh, when in the end you can sit back and you go wow that was a good job <laughs> yeah exactly like, yeah sit I'd... back and smoke your pipe like your grandfather used to <laughs> that's right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> go uh kind of uh uh, not say much and then uh, kind of look into the distance and have something slow and concise and yeah, <laughs> leave it yeah, at that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean. The other thing I, I, you know, I think you get used on a lot is the search and rescue aspect. Does any specific search and rescue stand out in your mind? Because, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I, I know you're, you're, you're healthy, you're fit, you know the mountains. Uh, you were one of my first or second calls uh, <laughs> when it comes to search and rescue because of reliability and your experience. So. In three years, you've probably done a lot. I've done, yeah, quite a, quite a few. I sometimes I think like maybe I should keep track of them just because huh. it'd be interesting. To, it would be. Yeah, I'd like to know at the end because uh, I didn't keep track of them, and yeah. maybe in your diary it's probably written down, and probably in my diaries, but it's somewhere just, it goes so much. You know, five calls at night, you know, and I'd cure three or four of them at home. But yeah, a lot of search and rest. A lot but, of them. You yeah. know, any stand out. I'm trying to think. I think uh, there was there's a bunch there's a bunch that before I was on on the job, but then there's actually there's been a few since I've been on. Um, one of which was last summer. Uh, two older folks were out. It was at the end of a, a long hot spell in July, like around Fourth of July, where it's like a hundred degrees every day, and then. Um, we got this hard rain like we're getting right now mm. as driven by a cold All that background sun. noise everybody's hearing. All that, yeah, that kind of staticky noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the temperature plummeted after the rain. And um, so we actually just got done with a, a rescue in, it was more of an assist. Nobody was injured, thankfully, but a rescue again in Huntington Ravine where they got cliffed out. And uh, Sergeant Lucas and I were down in there and we got down to him and assisted him out. I'd cleared it and was heading back north and I uh, got the notification from uh, state police that there's some other people that were high on the mountain, probably at like the, I'm guessing it's probably about the 
55 or 5200 foot level they'd been out and they were they were hypothermic and what time of year is this this is july july <laughs> you know you and people don't think about hypothermia oh, in yeah. july no but they should they should they very much should and uh you mentioned it snowing mm-hmm. um it didn't snow this night but i thought it was going to come close um, it probably did come close <laughs> very close if it was still raining we would have had it because it was i think it was 30 or 31 degrees it's in july in july and the wind was uh gusting to 80 i believe and this is very much above tree line and how were these folks dressed uh like it was july like it's july <laughs> like it's july shorts so shorts yeah yep. Shorts and, uh, you know, didn't have a bunch of warm clothing. Mm-hmm. Had some, but not a ton. And cotton? Uh, yes, some cotton yep. in there, too. You know, that adage, cotton kills, it's true. And, yes. uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you have 15 cotton hoodies on. It's right. not going to keep you warm if they're wet. Yeah. It's, you know, it doesn't matter how many layers of it. So, yeah, these, one was mild to moderate hypothermia. The other one was definitely severe, mm-hmm. unconscious. Wow. Um, you know, that's very Life borderline. or death situation. Very much so. Oh, yeah, very much so. We had rescuers actively trying to rewarm that person. We brought, ended up bringing down a, um, uh, what's called a Norwegian heater from the summit, which many people probably aren't familiar, but yeah, look look it up. It's, um, I think it's developed in World War Two. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it. And uh, it looks like they're from World War II. Yep, II, it looks like they're from have, World War Two, no yeah. doubt. They have like a charcoal fuel type cell that you actually set on fire, basically, and it Mm -hmm. goes through this tubing and heats, basically, so it creates heat. So yeah, it's like a heating octopus is the best way to look at look like yeah. Use the battery and stuff, and of course the Norwegians figured it out. You know the Swiss Norwegians, that that whole area in Europe. You know they're all about snowology. (laughs) Very much snowology. (laughs) In in fact, that's. uh, yeah, Switzerland's the only other place besides Montana State that has uh, oh, a Oh, so you had a choice to go to Switzerland, huh? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. didn't jump on that one, no, huh? No, I didn't. Did you I look into it at all? <laughs> I think a little bit. I think yeah. uh, I, I actually talked to an advisor that was, uh, mm. he was like, my, my advisor is head of the, the department. He's like, I've known a few students that have done like a, a year abroad, but the, the programs don't exactly align, so mm-hmm. you end up having to take a little bit more classes and a little bit more time in school. In Sweden, that would be horrible, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, it'd be, be terrible to be... Terrible in yeah, Sweden and uh, yes, extra classes. All over the place. Yeah. So, but now I was like, I only knew a little bit You should have gone just to visit to see what a classroom in Sweden's like. Oh, you're probably yeah. on the edge of the Alps, you know, oh, as your classroom. So. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, Swiss Alps with the... Wow. Yeah, it's... I think it's in um, Bern, uh, Switzerland. It's... Uh, so you have, like, um, lakes, and it's... Gorgeous. That's what gorgeous. I think of Switzerland. I just think of gorgeous. Just pure well, i got to find out if they got game wardens in Switzerland. You They've know got what? to. They have to. Yeah. it's uh, That'll be a podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hopefully I can do it live. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, do it live, on scene. Yes. <laughs> no be awesome you know how else are you going to capture it unless yeah. you're there so so yeah. did you end up calling a helicopter for this hypothermia person yeah, no so and that's the other good wow. point to bring up is it's um the wind and everything was so bad that mm. obviously they can't do it up there as you know but like uh ended up going to the hospital in berlin avh and i think i don't recall the core temperature of the person that was worse off 
But uh, if I recall, the doctor that was in charge of that patient, I guess I heard it secondhand that she, this doctor worked in Alaska, and she said that's the farthest or the coldest temperature she's seen in a person that uh, ended up surviving. So um, that was very. If much, I recall, I, I thought the victim stayed in the hospital for over a week. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Or hypothermia. Hypothermia. Yeah. When you mm. when you get that cold, it it does some not very pretty things to the human body. Right. Um, you know, it, it can disrupt your heart, um, and that's a real. When it gets real cold, granted, we we're carrying her, uh, this person up. And we carried the per- the other person up too as well because they weren't moving very fast, and uh, pretty much ended up getting to the base of the mountain at like I want to say four thirty in the morning. Wow! Um, so we saw sunset and sunrise on that one between the two rescues. So, wow! That's um, a day. That's a day right there. And I think we had two more like that. Not that bad. Not that life or death. But we had two more all nighters in July. That was part of it. I think there's one on my weekend off, too. And, and that was always my fear as a lieutenant. You have those back-to-back, and then the next day or the next night you have one, and how many more people do you have to do it? Exactly. You don't. You, you don't, don't have people, and your people are, are spent, and you gotta you got to think of your people. Yeah, you're beat. And it's not like um, it's not like uh, we're, we're working night shift and right. just slept all day. I mean, I, I just put in, like, a, probably a 12-hour right. day before I went on the first one. So, yep. um you know, it's there's a lot to it, and I think a lot of people. I mean, they have no reason to know, but if it comes up and they, you know, I'll gladly educate them. Be like, you know, this is we're not night shift. This is no, you're we're we're coming here. out for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not just oh help yep. you get down off the mountain or give you Gatorade and a headlamp. This is right. We're here because you need to get out. Right. Um, this is serious, and that's why we come out when it's serious. So exactly. So that was that was probably one of my more memorable ones. And then another one that was um, it wasn't super dire, but there's a, a woman that was the one in Amanusik. Oh wow! Yeah, that we ended up. Me and uh, Sergeant uh, Lieutenant Ober talked about this one too. But uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that was yeah. that was an intense, intense. That was an intense one. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we you know chasing PLS beacon hits. Yep. Down the drainage and and uh, you know. Ober and I going in from yeah, above. Yeah, so these satellite beacons for everybody that knows a spot system or a P, uh, personal P- locator beacon. beacon. Yeah. You know, yeah, we chase them because sometimes they're not deployed correctly. They need to be perfectly correct, and there's a lot of variables when it comes to those. So they're not a fail-safe. But she activated that one, and it was a spot system, which is, you know, would be my preference if we had one to have a spots. Yeah. You know, maybe I will get spots on here to sponsor, sponsor me now because <laughs> I do have a preference. Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. You guys will hate me if I do that because everybody will be carrying a sponsor to be going out to calls every time. So. Oh, yeah. I bumped mm. it when I was getting my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yes, and that happens. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, the, the, uh, the PLB's moving mm, yes. at about two miles per hour. Oh, yeah. God. And when the Air Force... Uh, gets involved because with the personal locator beacons it goes right to the air force uh they get all nerved up because they have to clear that system and you know one day it went off in uh the parking lot of uh pinkham notch oh so and then they track the person all the way up the mountain and they're all you know they don't even understand what's going on but they're like yeah it's here it's here and i'm getting calls like every 15 minutes i'm like 
Yeah, they're they're hiking God. Mount Washington, and they're like, yeah, but the, you know, they're. In, I'm like, it started in their parking lot, so it got, you know, and so uh, the, up at the park on top, they put a sign up uh, for the person because it has a name. Yeah. Put it right on the as soon as you open the door, start and sorry, please report to the thing. So they went in. They're like, oh yeah, we tried that. We wanted to see if it worked. In the oh, parking my God. lot. Yeah. Yeah. It worked all right. Yeah. But I, I could figure it out. And they, they wanted me to go out and rescue this person. I'm like, no, they're hiking the mountain. No, I'm not doing so that. So it, yeah, you got to discern from that stuff. So, but that one, I mean, let's let's talk about that rescue from your perspective because that was again a very gnarly overnight one and uh, lots of snow. Yeah, a lot of snow. Winter one. Oh, wicked! I mean, we got yeah. That's so. I remember distinctively because we just we had gotten snow like all December long, um, a ton of it. And I think even late November a little bit, but then we, um, then we had like a two week cold snap and I mean cold in, um, in the end of December and in the beginning of January where it was, uh, like 30 below in the valleys at night. Yeah. And, um, and then luckily it started warming up and that's when this, this occurred. And, um, I remember going up through with snowshoes and everything. And I mean, the, the, trail itself was very well traveled as it usually is but then we get above tree line and that's uh that's where lieutenant ober had located the tracks going off the trail uh towards the drainage because he's trying to cut some and uh when we you know you could see it was like a point of no return he was there ahead of me um and so he's waiting for me i got up there we got on the snowshoes and pitched down over into it and it's like yeah well, this is this, you just have it run through your mind all the different potential scenarios that we might be coming across. Like, you know, is this, is this person alive? I mean, it's been now since it was activated, like what, probably four or five hours by yeah. the time we got into mm-hmm. the drainage and cut a track. Yeah. Um, you know, cause it doesn't, there's no button that I know of on any spots model or that says, you know, oh, I'm, I'm bad. I need help, but. I'm surviving right now or, and there's not a button that says get here as fast as possible or I'm not going to live. There's no discerning which kind of emergency it is, you know, point in case pressing it to test it. Exactly. So, um, and up in there you have what we call tree wells where you get so much snow that it covers spruce and you might fall in like a 10 foot deep hole and maybe mm-hmm. it'll bury you or you you're struggling so much. And then just... Sergeant Ober fell in those too. Exactly. You let yeah. him blaze the trail and fall in there. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Several when, times. <laughs> when I say, yeah, let him blaze the trail. He, uh, he, he kind of, uh, he's a born leader. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. He, t- he takes charge. He breaks great trail. <laughs> breaks great trail. Uh, he, uh, he, he wanted to stay breaking trail. I think a lot. Mm. Oh yeah. No. And, I mean, for those that are unfamiliar, I mean, you know, we're we're carrying like 60, 65 pound packs. It's January. Yeah. Um, it's all the equipment to keep you alive and the person you're looking for. And the person you're looking for. And then even or even help any other rescuers that are there, too, mm-hmm. um, since we're responsible for everybody, which is always a common thing, a theme that we always get kind of teased about by our uh our counterparts in the volunteer rescue groups that are very knowledgeable and really good resources. But it's like, you guys have such big packs. Why is it always so heavy? You're torturing yourselves. It's like, well, I'm carrying stuff for a few people. Um, right. Yeah. You know, and I always pretty much depending on the length, um, this time of year, 
um, in like winter and fall. It's like I always have a sleeping bag and a bivy sack in my pack, probably a stove. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, that that was. And you guys ended up finding Amy. It started raining. Yep. I was waiting at the trailhead for you because when we do search and rescues, uh, there's always a command person at the bottom mm-hmm. doing re- radio relays and if anything you need, calling an ambulance mm-hmm. in that case. And yeah, that was a, a great success. And uh, but they, it could have ended up just like the other hypothermia victim that you talked about earlier. Exactly. You know, that was where she was on her way, and she understood. She made the decision. But she lost the ridge line as she's coming down. She lost the trail in some weather and uh, just picked a ravine to go down and picked the wrong ravine. Yeah. The good thing is she's, you know, I think what I noticed is people that have like a kind of a fighting spirit, really, that makes a difference. Obviously, mm. aside from having the knowledge and equipment to do so, but whether you go, well, I'm, I'm not gonna give up here and I keep pushing forward I mean she kept she's gonna try to get herself out she, even after she I think she initiated that she was trying to move down the right. drainage because we're falling like if she knew if you get to the bottom of the drainage you're probably gonna get to a road exactly so follow the river down follow the drainage down so it's just difficult in up mm-hmm. to 10 feet of snow at times or deeper exactly so. she even um she even had the at least the skills enough and had the equipment to start a little fire exactly yeah. Um, and that. If I had to critique her, the only one thing I'd say is have a GPS because the GPS would have put her back on the trail. Exactly. She had her spots, but she didn't have a GPS that would actually see where she was on a map and see where the trail was and put herself on that. And I told her that. So she, I bet you she has now knowing her because she had all the equipment really to survive. Yeah. Yeah. She she did, and I think she made good decisions. She did. And she was very happy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> thankful very, for us. Uh, very thankful. Which was nice. Which is a uh, yeah. It's most of the time it's kind of. I'd say probably more than 60% of the time, people are kind of just indifferent to our presence. They're just kind of like, mostly probably because they're in pain or embarrassed. And they might not say anything. It's very rare that I get someone that's like a jerk. Right. That's probably like one out of every 20. Yep. Yeah. And we get them. We get them, though. Mm-hmm. And then then there's probably, yeah, like 10% or 15% of them, I, I feel are super grateful. Granted, I, you know, none of us do it to get like thanks or awards or right. this, that, or the other thing, but it's nice. It's nice every <laughs> once in a while. Be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm helping people. That's why I do this. And, yep. and they appreciated me mm-hmm. carrying them on the back, on my back, you know, mm-hmm. which that's another memorable one. I mean, we're about to, I'm sure we're going <laughs> to wrap up on this one. This, yeah. Uh, this specific recording. Is that but, the one I actually went out on? Well, well there's another that one. one. That that's, one? Okay. that's another one. That's yeah. a, that was a rough one. But yeah. then there's one that I had. When the lieutenant that. ends up on the rescue and he's so angry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because he can't get any help. That's right. And we, so. have, we have uh, dishwashers and stuff coming mm. in to help. Albeit, they're very helpful. Yeah. You know, AMC there's no crew's nothing. Been wicked helpful. Wicked, wicked helpful. Mm. Um, but uh, no, there's another one uh, in the Mahusics last summer that um, we ended up, we could get. Fairly close by four wheeler, but it's by like bushwhacking on the old logging roads mm-hmm. to Page Pond. Yep. And then uh, we carried the injured person who broke his ankle on our back, like kind of like a backpack, like a human backpack through the woods. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one way to get it done, though. So it really is. Yep. Piggybacks, uh, crutches, you name it. We've done about everything. Try so. everything. So we're we're at the end of our journey here. We're going to be uh, changing up to get into our dress reds for the law enforcement memorial uh, where we honor our fallen. So 
as good. Uh, this, this, if it turns out, I think this would be a pretty good uh, canned yeah. uh, conversation. So. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, we're ri- basically everybody's riding shotgun with you today. So because uh, I'm sitting here and the, they're going to hear the road noise. They're going to hear the rain falling. They're going to hear the radio in the background. So I hope they get that feeling of uh, on patrol with uh, Conservation Officer Jim Sear. Yes, exactly. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.